0: Today, as we begin to celebrate Advent, we remember that Advent is a season of purposeful rhythms and practices that are supposed to help us to center on Jesus, to look back at the first coming and have the truths of God's work shape us in the present and form us as we long for his future return. It's a historical thing. It's a future uh, perspective. It is a whole person transformational practice and rhythm and we want to be reshaped and have our hearts directed towards Christ so we rightly long for him advent is truly marvelous it is a time in which we look at history where we look at practices where we look at scripture and it gives us hope and peace and joy and this year for advent i want to give special attention to this theme of joy and unpack joy for the next few weeks Because as we think about his first coming, it ought to evoke emotions and perspectives and expressions of joy. We know that joy in scripture is different than happiness. They often relate. There is overlapping understanding between the two. But happiness is circumstantial, while joy is based upon our theology, our understanding of who God is and what he has done. This is why the Bible can regularly command us to rejoice to command us to express joy, you cannot command happiness because happiness is circumstantial. It's based upon what's happening around you, whether it's good or bad. To call someone to be happy when times are difficult is sometimes insensitive, if not cruel. But you can call on someone despite their circumstances to have joy. You can command joy because it's a command not to look at what's going on around you, but a command to look at what the Lord is doing and who he is to look at his faithfulness, to look forward to his promises, to have our heart's eye shifted towards the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of our own lives. And maybe this is something that you need. I've recognized in the last week and a half, two weeks, I've definitely been in a place where my happiness has been sapped from my uh, everyday experience. Um, Getting injured uh, this past week, dealing with a mouse infestation in our house, which is fun, right? So much fun. Cleaning all the spots of your house you never look at. Uh, happiness has been lacking in my experience, and I've been in a funk. Um, some of this is a spiritual funk, and I've been bringing this to the Lord and longing, and this, this theme of joy has been helpful for me to wrestle with the, the tension between circumstantial happiness and looking towards the Lord and having my heart shaped by joy that does not change based upon my circumstances. And it's not easy. To be honest, I'm I'm very much in a place where I feel like I'm in a funk and I still feel struggle uh, in my heart because I'm realizing how much of my everyday experiences of the Lord are dependent on my circumstances and dependent on my happiness and how much I'd rather have happiness than the discipline of rejoicing in who God is. And I'm still in that place. And maybe that's where you are. You've come to church Maybe you've come to church today because you were exactly looking for happiness or emotions or all that. And that may be granted to you. God may be gracious and mercifully changing circumstances, changing your emotions. Those are things that God does. And yet our hearts are called to rejoice despite the change of circumstance or the lack of it because God has not changed. God is still at work. The way that he has worked. In the story we have read and we're going to look at with Mary, he is still working in those ways, keeping his promises today. And so maybe that's where you are, wrestling, struggling, and I want you to know that you are not alone, that your pastor is in that same place. And I'm asking the Lord to shape my heart to be one of joy in this season. Because we know, as we look more and more at who God is and what he is doing, that that truly can transform. Give me a joy that transcends. Today we're looking at Mary's song of praise. If you grew up in a more formal church or Catholic church, maybe you remember this being called the Magnificat and it's from the Latin. It's the first Christmas carol. And Mary has much to teach us as she sings about the joy she finds in the Lord. I want to look at this song and understand uh, where joy comes from and begin to unpack how we get this joy. Three points to help us look at joy from Mary's song of praise. The first, joy is sparked by fellowship. Joy is sparked by fellowship. The context of this passage we read was in this Christmas story where Mary is told she will have a son who is to be called Jesus. And this is the fulfillment of God's promises to David all the way back to Abraham that there will be a king that comes who is the Lord. But, At Gabriel's first announcement to Mary, we don't see her actually immediately respond with joy. Her first response is not even full understanding. Her first response shows us that coming to understand who the Lord is, to coming to a place of joy, often happens in stages. It's a helpful reminder as we see Mary's response in this context that most people don't first hear the news about God and immediately have life-changing experiences. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes it happens slowly. Sometimes it happens in dramatic ways. Sometimes it happens in very normal ways. It's different for different people. There's no standard Christian experience. And Mary first starts, as she hears the news from the angel, she starts with this cautious incredulity. She, she's hearing this news, and her first words in Luke 1.34 are, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin, she is a very logical, objective person. Virgins don't all of a sudden become pregnant. It's a nice way of her saying to the angel, this is impossible. Most people wrestle when they first hear of the gospel. It is part of the journey. It is part of the, the coming to grips with what God can do and has done. We wrestle with the possibility. Mary struggles to believe. It's not immediately there. Her her first statement in response is one of questioning. She's still engaged, though. She sees an angel, and this this is quite surprising. And so she asks for more information. And she moves on from this skepticism at first to a submitted acceptance. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. She doesn't fully grasp it yet. We don't see a full transformation of her, but she is submitting. She's receiving good news from the Lord. She doesn't fully get it, yet she's still wrestling. This isn't normally possible to be pregnant when you are a virgin. I've spoken with a lot of people who wrestle with their faith and have big questions. And as they're wrestling, I've heard various experiences expressed like this, where, you know, as they're going along in the journey of wrestling and coming to grips with things, they they start usually with, I I could not believe Christianity because it just seems like the realm of fairy tales. Just like, people who just need to cling on to something and it's just an emotional thing for them. But as they wrestle, as they investigate, as they ask questions and bring things to the Lord, they begin to wonder about the possibilities. And as they wrestle, they begin to see the increasing credibility of it. And they begin to see that all philosophies, whether they're scientific philosophies or religious philosophies or practical philosophies, all of them require a measure of faith. And as they wrestle and investigate They begin to recognize, well, maybe there's something more to this. And I see them along this journey. That's Mary's journey, too. Maybe that's an encouragement for you where you are in your journey of wrestling with this good news of Jesus. We actually see Mary come to faith and respond to joy when she meets her cousin, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Look with me at verses 42 to 44. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, this is Elizabeth speaking, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is actually when things click for Mary. Elizabeth is granted a Holy Spirit understanding that Mary, her cousin, is carrying the Messiah. And she expresses this to Mary. And in that expression, in that affirmation, Mary now understands. This is the moment where faith transforms her and that internal transformation is expressed in singing. She's not just merely submitting to news that she understands. It's not mere intellectual agreement. Her heart is now transformed in faith and she overflows in joy. Faith always overflows from an intellectual understanding from mere duty and performance, to from a submission of the whole person that takes over your heart, your mind, your body, your joy. Now, I want to unpack something that seems kind of minor here, but I think I've, I've found great encouragement in this week. That it, it takes Mary's visit with Elizabeth and this conversation with Elizabeth that sparks and affirms Mary's transformation. It causes her, in connection to her cousin, to sing and have joy. Elizabeth plays a crucial role. Joy is often sparked by fellowship, by connection with brothers and sisters. Mary's understood from the conversation she had with the angel, but now she has this transformation with Elizabeth. I mean, she's a logical person. She knows that she receives this news that she, as a virgin, is now pregnant, even though she betrothed to Joseph, that this is actually trouble for her life. This is why it's mere submission at first. Because she knows she's pregnant without being married. This is going to ruin her socially, religiously, spiritually. And she submitted to it. She had this supernatural experience, and so she receives this news that was going to ruin her life, but she recognizes, at least I can submit to it. I don't fully grasp this yet. That's actually a bit of faithfulness there. But it's not until she sees Elizabeth's perspective that she overflows with joy, that she understands what the angel told her. Hear me out. This reminds us that joy is often sparked by being in fellowship with other Christians. Mary doesn't take the good news she receives from the angel to sit alone. She doesn't take her questions and her challenges alone. She brings it to her cousin. And if that's when she sees that perspective, that it causes her to have faith and overflow with joy. Joy is sparked by fellowship with others. This is a beautiful picture and a reminder of the importance of intimate friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a reminder of the importance of community. You ever have a group of friends, at least more than two people, where if one of those friends is out of the friend group, maybe they just couldn't meet to hang out or hang out, but then that friendship is somehow missing because that one friend isn't there because that one friend brings out more in the other people. You ever have that experience that there's someone in a friend group that makes you understand another friend differently and it causes some different dynamics and when that person isn't there, you don't see quite the same way you don't connect quite the same way if this is true of human relationships and i know it is then how much more of our relationship with the lord we need other christians we need other brothers and sisters to in their perspective from their vantage point to speak into our lives this is so important how we sharpen and encourage and carry burdens of life where their perspectives begin to help us understand our relationship with the lord I joined during, I forget what year it was, 2021 or 2020. I think it was 21. Uh, a pastoral cohort with uh, 100 different pastors. And this is pastors who have various different perspectives. Uh, secondary issues which we would not agree upon. Fundamentally, we have the same heart understanding of Orthodox theology and the love of the gospel and love of Jesus. But the secondary matters, we didn't always agree on things. I was with pastors and leaders who... Had a very, much more charismatic expression and experience of their life. One where I'm not quite as experienced with. And as I fellowshiped and hung out with these pastors, it didn't quite change my entire theology yet. But that experience of being prayed for with someone who has that kind of experience with the Lord really encouraged my heart. I still sustained actually by one of the prayers in which someone was led to pray with for me and with me in that time. That I began to see God's calling in my life in a different way because this brother responded to the Lord in a moment of prayer and worship and prayed for me. I needed that perspective. Maybe you need a perspective from a brother or sister. Maybe you need to get back into community because you've been avoiding community for too long. Or maybe you are in community, but you haven't quite found the freedom or vulnerability to express what it is that you are struggling with. And that's something that I think we need to kind of remove from our community, that all of us come not okay, actually. We, we come with brokenness and struggle and difficulty. And as you share that, the perspectives from brothers and sisters that you trust and love you, maybe that's how you begin to be shaped. And that's what maybe is going to spark your relationship with the Lord and the joy that you have in him. We need other people sometimes to see what we don't see. It's actually together in community that we see the Lord more fully and more clearly. Just this past week, We had a worship event on Wednesday with two other churches and it was hosted by Redemption Church and their worship leader and their band are are dramatically different than our experiences. That's the best way to put it. And not necessarily better or worse, just much more expressive and loud. In fact, that's how you know it's going to be loud because when you walk into worship, they hand you earplugs just in case you need them. That's awesome because we don't ever need earplugs in our worship services. And when we do, that will be something different because we have someone who can lead in that way. We have people singing in that way. And that was a moment where I realized I need, need, again, people who experience the Lord differently to to see that perspective. Who is your Elizabeth in your life? Let me encourage you to seek that person out. Maybe the Elizabeth in your life is someone who actually is very different than you. And that's actually very good for you. Maybe the people who are most, maybe that person that you love, but actually is somewhat kind of, you don't quite gel because you have such different perspective. Maybe that's the exact person you need at this time because that person's vantage point on Jesus and the things of God is exactly what you need. Or maybe you are actually called in this season to be an Elizabeth to someone who is in that perspective, wrestling with their faith, who doesn't quite understand why their circumstances are the way they are. Maybe they're worried that their life is going to be ruined, like Mary, and they need you to carry that burden with them. Who helps you see God from a different perspective? Who, how can you be that person for someone else? Joy is often sparked by fellowship. Second truth we see from Mary is joy always overflows in praise. It always overflows in praise. Some of what Mary does uh, is expected. When women get pregnant, they will immediately want to tell their closest friends, their family members, and share. They want to tell their sisters, their girlfriends, their parents. They just overflow, and they may not overflow and song immediately, but as they are pregnant and they share, there's this joy. And they may even come out, sing songy in their words and their volume. And despite the circumstantial challenges that Mary experiences of being an unwed pregnant girl, The moment she has that transformation of her from the inside out, recognizing the good of the Lord, the glorious blessing and mercy of the Lord, it overflows in praise. In the first Christmas carol, she says in verse 46 to 47 Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Soul and spirit are not speaking about two different things here. Uh, the Bible often uses repetition in, in different ways to as a literary device to express the same point. She's saying from the deepest part of who she is, she is changed. Very core of who she is expresses joy and rejoicing. She's not saying I have a new I found a new philosophy over life. She's not saying I have a new to-do list, a new, a new discipline, a new secret for helping myself. She's not saying she has new plans. She's saying the core of her being is changed because of the Lord, and that overflows in praise. I would go so far as to say rejoicing or joy expressed in song or expressed in words is always the the first and regular sign of someone who follows Jesus. Because Christianity fundamentally is not, A religious activity or a mere intellectual understanding. It's a transformation of your being that overflows with how much you know God has done for you and for the world. It is the work of God through the Holy Spirit that brings to bear the the goodness of God in your life and you cannot help but overflow with it. Mary has this perspective here of a worshiper. She's not the focus of worship here. Protestants maybe tend to overlook the honor that is due Mary in being blessed. But if you were raised Catholic, maybe you overemphasized Mary. But her posture here is worship, because she understands that God has changed everything, not just for her, but what He is doing in her is going to extend His work of mercy and salvation to all peoples. And she cannot help but overflow in praise and song. Part of what she is saying, it expresses the truth of what C.S. Lewis says in his little book that I always return to regularly called The Reflection on the Psalms. He says this about joy and praise. I, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its anticipated consummation. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. We took our kids to Yosemite, right? And that's amazing. All they do is complain. It's so long of a walk. They just want to go back to... That's exactly what he is saying, right? You can't share. At least Jeanette and I can share. But all we're worried about is the complaining there, right? You ever go to experience something amazing you can't share with someone else? to hear a good joke and find out no one, to find no one to share it with. So church, if you follow Jesus, does your joy as you rejoice and as you fix your eyes on who God is and what he has done, does that overflow in praise? Have you disconnected from church and community so much though that there's no joy because what you need is actually people to express it to, to, to praise God with? That you haven't joined us for worship? That you haven't joined us in prayer? you, You haven't joined your community group? Because that's actually where joy comes from as you express it. Or to put it in terms of a question, what are you singing about? Everyone sings about something. Maybe not out loud, but you sing about something in your heart that is where you are finding your ultimate joy. Something that is causing you to have security and looking forward to things, you are singing about something in your heart at all times. What is it that you are singing about? And if it's not of the Lord, you will realize that you evaluate that. Not that that's bad, but it doesn't actually sustain. It doesn't continue. It doesn't actually overflowingly transform you. Mary begins to see who the Lord is. Right? Mary is a worshiper. She has years of faithfulness to the Lord. She understands biblical history. She understands the Lord's promises, and as she looks at those promises, she overflows now that she sees what God is doing in her life. Where is your praise? Joy overflows in praise. It always overflows in song. That's why we sing at Christmas. That's why we sing as Christians. That's why why singing is so essential to the gathering of the people of the Lord. It is not merely an intellectual exercise to look at Scripture, although that is so important. It is always an overflow of joy and song to the Lord. Joy overflows and praise. The third truth we see, joy centers, it always centers on God's character. Her joy, as you see what she's praising God for, is not merely because of her circumstantial change. Her centering is actually on who God is, what he is like, and what he is doing. The heart of Christmas isn't centered on our needs or our feelings, but on who God is. That's actually where joy comes from. I think a lot of people, when they think about Christmas, what we long for is the results of Christmas. And so hopefully I'm, never, I'm not spoiling this movie for you because it's really old and all of us have seen some version of it. But The Grinch That Stole Christmas... One of my the, the scenes that's kind of always stuck in my mind is the end, right where the people of Whoville, even though the Grinch has now taken all their things, they're singing they're they're praising, and it's because they have something, but what we long for as we look at that movie is that. and so we we search for that feeling and that result, but we then seek it in things like going to Christmas tree villages. We, we seek it in family gatherings. We seek it in sentimental experiences. We seek it by putting on way too much 96.5 and just listening to songs too much. We seek it in the results. But actually, the results come from another source. That's why when we seek it, the results only, they don't last very long. It's just as abrupt as, as Christmas is over, the stations stop playing Christmas music. Because where joy centers, that lasts and transforms, is when it centers on the Lord. What well, we long for often, and this is where I, guess I struggle too, is we often focus on the results of Christmas, not actually on the thing that gives us joy, which is the Lord. She has this life-changing joy because she has the Lord, and she sees the Lord for who He is and what He is doing. Let's focus on the characteristics of God that she Focuses on and centers on. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Joy is possible, and joy results in praise because we have a Lord who is mighty, who is omnipotent, who is all power. This mighty God, as she remembers what he is like, has delivered Israel from Egypt. This is the Lord who parted the Red Sea. This is the Lord who can raise up the Assyrians to use them as judgment against Israel and then wipe them away. The same again with the Babylonians. At the same time, he can use them, he can judge them. This is the same God who can use a donkey to speak or use a fish to move his prophet. This is the same God who can cause a virgin to get pregnant, something that doesn't happen normally because this is the living God who spoke everything into existence out of nothing. And this is the God who is with her and with us. He is mighty. And this might isn't just for Mary. This is an extension of his might towards all peoples. He can take shame, brutality, and the death of the cross and turn it into glory, victory, and life. This God who can create all things and do all things is at work. He is mighty. doesn't mean that God will always do what we want and change the circumstances to be what we want but this God with unlimited power is always at work to do work in this world for his glory and ultimately for your good. When followers of Jesus face circumstances that are difficult and troublesome we remember and we can have joy in the middle of that because we are centered on a Lord who is mighty in history he is mighty in the present he will be mighty in his return. We sing of the incarnation the life death and resurrection and we proclaim there is no more condemnation amen there's no more condemnation there is abundant life right i said amen there no one said amen see this is why i need other brothers and sisters from different places to encourage me i'm trying to preach and i don't preach because no one's responding to me right i can get there if people respond but you're not responding it's okay well there but abe says it. he's a pastor right so you expect him to say it right I'm, i'm trying to get out of you a little bit right there's, I said it. There's no condemnation, right? That that ought to cause us to overflow as we focus. Thank you, right? Stretch those muscles a little bit. I know some of you in the church are like that, and so I'm giving you freedom and encouragement to to shock the people sitting around you a little bit, who are more timid, and that's okay. We we need people who are more reflective and quiet at times. There's no condemnation. As you, his, look at his might. This is why I, I I sit on a board of a missions organization and. One of the things we do... And actually, I love our board meetings. Uh, and I, I'm kind of shocked to say that because some of these board meetings are like eight, 10 hours long because we only do them tw- twice a year. Um, but what I love about our board meetings, we will always have field reports from uh, cross-cultural workers from various places in the world. And and earlier this year, in April, we sat down with a brother who had just lost a team member because they were murdered. And th- this broke... I think I shared this earlier this year. And that, that did... I, I have never wept in a board meeting before, but that was a time where I was weeping with, as I heard this brother. And, and his circumstance, he didn't have this immediate, like all of a sudden shift of joy and happiness because he's in the middle of grief and sorrow. He didn't have words that actually were able to give praise to God at that particular moment because grief was just overwhelming. But you know how I know that he trusted in the mighty God? He continued the next day. He didn't stop. He didn't give up. He didn't stop trusting that God is still at work. He did it in his life. He is a mighty God. And that will, I know, eventually result in joy and overflow in praise. Amen. This Lord is merciful. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary says he's holy in verse forty nine, which means he's perfect and transcendent and cannot stand in sin, in death, in its presence, and he has to judge it. We see that faith, that holy judgment and wrath of God that is good. It's the other side of his love expressed again and again. Because if you love something, you will hate the things that attack it. But this God chooses, even though he is perfectly righteous, to act mercifully. Read a lot recently, and maybe this is impacting you and This week, I prayed for you if this has definitely impacted you, but a lot of tech companies are are laying people off in anticipation of lower uh, seasons of income or just maybe they overhired during the pandemic. And and sometimes companies get merged or they get sold or they dissolve. And I imagine when companies get bought by bigger companies and smaller companies who are struggling, uh, maybe that they were mismanaged or maybe even they weren't mismanaged, but they didn't actually produce results. Uh, The income or the the gain of their stock price hasn't happened in quite a number of quarters. And a larger company comes in and wants its assets and they come in. And what they do, usually, the larger company buying the smaller company is just kind of start over with the management. Maybe it's incompetent or maybe it's just not performing to the best of its ability. And so they they basically remove all the people and they put in different people or better people. And they have every right to do so because now they own the company. That's right. They have the, the, the... privilege and the right to do that and actually oftentimes it's wise when that smaller company gets replaced because it hasn't performed the way it needed to and the larger company understands has the assets it has the understanding to do better god is holy and powerful he has every right to blot out out because he is holy just look at what we've done with this world we're incompetent we've rebelled against him and we have the results of a rebellion, and yet we still have the audacity to blame God for it. He has every right and the might, but he doesn't blot us out. He is merciful. Rather than remove us, he comes to us. He lives among us. I mean, the incarnation, if you think about this, this, this is incredible. If you think about, I don't actually know how the world began, right? None of us do. We'll ask God how the world began, how when he spoke, things came. I don't know if that was through a bang or just immediately. I don't know exactly the manner in which God does that, but he speaks and everything is there. So he can take nothing and make it something. And we know as you look down to the smallest particles of the world, that is at the fingerprints of God. This God who made that, he became that. He had to submit himself to being nothing for nine months, completely dependent. And he didn't come to a woman who was a princess, who lived in a great palace. She recognizes her lowliest state. She didn't have the best medical care. She didn't have the best access to vitamins and food. She was poor. We know that because her and Joseph, as they go to make an offering later in the temple, that they can only bring two pigeons. They were dirt poor. This God who made everything like that became the smallest bit in a woman. He took all his might and he was merciful for us. He dies the death we deserve to die because we said we want to do it our way. And he blotted himself out because he is merciful. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And it gives, he gives it to those who recognized the manner in which God acts. It's, he, they, he, he works through the humble, and we'll look at that in a second, but this mercy isn't contained just for Mary. It is now spreading everywhere from generation to generation, and it's right now. It's here. There are tons of stories in our church, and you hear some of them at our members' meeting where God has been merciful to us, and as you share with your community as you share with your friends in this church you will see evidence of his mercy again and again and again it is not just historical it is present it is ongoing it is faithful forever he is merciful this is the god last characteristic he is a god of the humble he is a god of the humble actually not the last characteristic i lied i still have time for my sermon verse 40 51 to 53 he's a god of the humble he has shown strength with his arm He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God brings about his kingdom and his work through a reversal. You could call it upside down. You could call it countercultural. He brings down the high and exalts the low. He does that ultimately in choosing Mary, this woman who is of no name and from a family with no standing, and he blesses her. He gives her a unique role, and this unique role points to God, how he will work with those who are humble throughout the world. Every religion in the world says that good people get God and bad people don't. It is Christianity that says it's the bad people who know that they're bad who get God. And it's the good people who reject God and trust themselves that don't get him. It is completely different. It's a reversal because God is the God of the humble, of the low. The gospel, this is why the gospel is scandalous and radical. It means that you have to admit you need a savior and he will save you. Not (laughs) despite how bad you are and what you haven't done. It's not nice and good people who get God. It's the broken and lost. It's the sick. He lifts up the poor and brings down the rich. It, he levels everyone. He levels everyone. My, my kids actually had a kind of a scary experience with my wife once in West Portal. And this individual, I don't know exactly his social standing, but it was not high, uh, was uh, you know hitting our co- their car. And so it caused a little bit of trauma and fear for my kids uh, of people who look lowly and, as they walk by them. But as I walk with my, my girls often, uh, as anyone we come by, if they look lower in status or lower in circumstance, I always say hi to them and look them in the eye. And I don't always respond and giving them anything, but at least I look at them in the eye and recognize them and say hello to them. And one time Malia asked me why I do that. Because I, and I told her, and this is something I'm still learning in my heart, because I'm no different than that person. I have no difference between God and me and that person. And that's a reminder to us that this is what God is doing. Those who are low in status and those who are high, there is no difference between us and what we need from God. And so it humbles the proud and it exalts the low. And it's those who are of us who are proud and have too much confidence in ourselves. And I would say that's a temptation of our church, who are usually more well-to-do and more of circumstance and more of stuff in our lives. This is the danger of us that we think of ourselves too much. But this is a God who is a God of the humble. The poor are not better off than professionals. They aren't less. It shows that the, those with worldly status are not any better. The gospel is good news for the poor, the broken, and the lost. And so if you have come to church today and you are deeply aware of how far you are away from God and that hurts you and pains you and you are deeply needing something for that, you are in, good, in a good place before the Lord. And if you feel like there's nothing wrong with your life, and you have no need for him, that is a warning to you that maybe you are not with him. Maybe you've trusted in religious performance or trusted in your circumstance, your moralism. This has always been the case with God. Psalm 2, it says, God laughs at the kings of the earth and their so-called strength. He will bring them down. Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful king with might and finances that rivals anyone in our time. And yet God humbles him to being a mooing cow, eating grass. This is a God who brings in a countercultural kingdom. He is a God of the poor, the broken, the lost, those who are in need. He will judge those who trust in themselves, but he will be merciful and loving and gracious to those who need a Savior. This is good news to those who are oppressed. This is good news for those who mourn because we know that Those circumstances are which God comes to meet us in, and he will exalt you. We know this to be true, that if you are low in estate or low in status or low in heart or low in your emotions, that God will lift you up because you have an inheritance if you are in Christ that never perishes, never fades. He is coming again to make all things new. Last characteristic, he is faithful. Look at verses 54 to 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary sees God is faithful to his promises all the way back to the promise of Abraham that he will make his family, his descendants as numerous as the specks of sand on the seashore. You cannot count them. He will have countable descendants and they will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. This may seem, as you read this promise to Abraham, that it doesn't have much to do with us because a majority of us, there may be some, but a majority of us, I think, are Gentiles here. We're not Jewish, right? And so that promise may not seem like much to us at first, but as you read the scriptures, you know that this promise is expanded because it wasn't ever meant to exclude anyone by choosing Abraham or Israel. It meant to expand to all the peoples of the earth. And so we are in the family promise of Abraham. This is historical proof of God's faithfulness. Remember, God called Abraham, called him out of his tent to look at the stars, and he and his wife, Sarai, did not have any children. And He gave them a promise, and they were old. They were really old, old. You can say, I guess this is why you can say he's old. Abraham, 75 years old. I guess that's getting older, right? That's somewhat respectful because it says it in the scriptures that he's old, right? And he had to wait. He had to wait 25 years. And when he took matters into his own hand, what did that do, right? That caused all kinds of pain and anguish. So shall your descendants be, and all the earth will be blessed. That's a promise. That is a promise at least 2,000 years before Mary. This is a promise that comes in the middle of an intertestamental period, which means the period between the old. Testament prophet Malachi and the last words of the Lord and the Gospels, that's at least 400, maybe 450 years of no prophetic word. God has no word. It's, it's silent. But God, even in that silence, even though it took 2,000 years, even though it took even longer, right? And Genesis 3 he says, there will be someone who comes through the seed of Eve who will crush the serpent comes and he's faithful in history in time that is amazing to me god could have just given us this kind of spiritual understanding of it right and then sometimes i think we think too much we over spiritualize things. but god works in the physical in time in history to remind us he keeps his promises And that same promise he kept by the coming of Christ, he has kept all of the promises for those who are in Christ for thousands and thousands of years. He will build his church and his church will stand. He will love you and keep you. His word will go out. He is keeping his promises. Many people in Mary's time probably thought that God had forgotten them. He hasn't spoken in 400 years, so at least, you know, Five to eight generations, depending on how you count generations, have passed since God has spoken to Malachi. Most people probably could have rightly concluded, God has not spoken. He is not with us. He is not for us. And maybe that's where you are today because it feels like the last 50 years of your life, God has not spoken to you. or the last five years or the last five months, God has seemed very far. And there's silence in this last week and a half, two weeks. I've been bringing it to the Lord, and I've heard nothing. It's it's in that silence that shapes me. But God has not forgotten me. God has not stopped caring about me. God has not stopped caring about Mary, even that 400 years of silence. God has not stopped caring about us 2,000 years later into the future about this. Because he is faithful. He is faithful. He is always faithful. His faithfulness, his faithfulness. Steadfast love never fails and never stops and never ends. He is faithful to Adam and Eve. Even though they rejected God, he kept his promise. We see that in the coming of Christ. He is faithful to Noah. He saves them and he promises to the world, even though I rightly have to respond to sin, I will never do that again. And he never does it again. Even though we, think about human history, have deserved that wiping out again and again and again. He's never stopped being faithful. He's faithful to Abraham. He is faithful to David. Think, think about the, how much Abraham sinned. Right? He sinned in not trusting God's promises, even though his wife was the one that him, so he could blame his wife at least, I guess. But then, he, even then, he was terrible to his wife. Every single time he came across an enemy, he was like, well, this is my sister. He lies again and again, twice. Think about David and the bloodshed that occurs in his life. And the murder and the adultery, God is faithful to him despite him. He's faithful to Israel again as they reject him and, and choose human kings. And as evil kings come and go, as we have seen in the book of Judges, they get salvation and they reject God again. He's faithful again and again. And he's faithful today. Never stops being faithful to you. Your sin that you may be deeply aware of that you've brought to church this morning, it does not hinder God from coming to you. His faithfulness in Christ is the same faithfulness he has to you. He calls for you to, to admit your low state, that I need a Savior, that I, what I've done with my life is just messed it up, and I need you. He is faithful to those who are in Christ. Friends, I pray that we would find joy this Christmas. We're going to look at joy in different kinds of circumstances over the next few weeks. And I pray, maybe you've come and, you have happiness and that's awesome. Praise God if your circumstances cause you joy and happiness. And yeah, I pray that is, you come to church and you have that. Would you share that with others and spark their joy? Would you also look to others who maybe are not in a circumstance that is causing them happiness, but need your perspective and the carrying of burdens so that they would be pointed to and see the vantage point of the, the Lord that you have? Friends, I pray that we would find joy. Because we have a God who is mighty, merciful, who brings an upside down kingdom for those who are low and is always, always, always faithful. Would you pray with me? And would you just take a moment in silence? Or maybe it overflows in words and you can just praise God out loud. However, God is speaking to you in your heart, would you just ask Him to speak? Would you cause, would you? Ask him to cause your heart to find joy in who he is. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that long rightly for you? Would your spirit stir us to see more of you, to look upon the historical coming of your son Jesus through the lens that Mary gives us in this word? to see who you, who, you, for who you really are. And may that overflow in our church, not just in this moment, but would it overflow in this whole month? And may our church take this and in overflow into our city so that we would be salt in light of the joy we have in you. So that your name would be praised and more joy would extend. Would your spirit do that work? In Christ's name, amen.